Good morning, everyone. So good to be with you. Good to be back with you uh, after our week away last weekend. Uh, I'll give you a few more details about that in just a moment. Would you please remain standing for the reading of God's Word? Today, our passage is from the book of Hebrews, chapter 2, verses 17 through 18. For this reason, he, meaning Jesus, for this reason, he had to be made like them, fully human in every way in order that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in service to God, and that he might make atonement for the sins of the people. Because he himself suffered when he was tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. Father God, may you honor the reading of your word today with hearing, with understanding, Lord, with the work of your spirit to teach and instruct each of us who are gathered here in these moments, in this place, those who are gathered with us online, those who will even be watching this and listening at some other later date, known already to you, Lord. We ask for your Spirit to be at work, to teach, to instruct, to draw us closer to you. We ask for the work of your Spirit to help us set aside the cares, the distractions, the worries, the trivialities of this world. And Lord, we ask that as you speak, may we have the strength to truly listen. Lord, we want to hear from you this day what it is your word and your will have to teach us. As always, Father God, I ask for my words not to get in the way of your word, but for you to work, to speak, to bring glory to yourself as Jesus, your Son, our Savior, our Lord, is lifted up and our eyes are cast upon him. The eyes of our heart, the eyes of our mind, the entirety of our lives, Lord, is focused on Jesus. And it's in his name that we pray. Amen. Would you please be seated? And a very special welcome to those who are joining with us today online. We're so glad that you two are a part of the Oak Park family today, uh, or at whatever day it may be uh, that you are watching. Remember, you can participate in the service in real time by texting in comments, questions, prayer praises, or prayer requests to 805-481-7092. And if you're watching at a later date, that number still works. We'll get to you when we can, though. We look forward to hearing from you. And if you're texting in for the first time, please include a name. We'd love to pray for you by my name and be able to uh, really uh, help more directly with uh, connecting with you to help you grow spiritually. Well, as I mentioned, uh, thank you for the time off last weekend. Uh, Juanita, I, and our son Jordan was uh, in the Seattle area. We were um, there for the weekend um, in a couple extra days. Uh, it was the funeral of a very dear friend of mine and actually known to many here at Oak Park, Dave Renberg. He was the uh, former principal at Coastal Christian School. He passed away after about a five-year battle with cancer. And we held his memorial service uh, last last Saturday. It was really good to be there, to be with the family, with friends. Um, our Dave and I have known each other for about 26 years, and um, our friendship circles overlapped quite a bit. So it was a good day. And then on Sunday, we were able to spend some time with Juanita's family. That's when the prayers really kicked in. So thank you for that. No, I'm just kidding. Good, good time being together with family. And I heard that uh, Matt did a great job and that the fort was held down just fine here. So for those who helped, those who helped everything run smoothly, those who showed up, those who uh, were able to, to be here to support Matt, thank you and, uh, and, and God's blessings on you for that. 
On the subject of suffering, suffering is not a pleasant subject. It is not one that we really want to think about, talk about, let alone, we definitely don't want to experience either. There is such a misunderstanding in modern American Christianity, actually kind of Western Christianity in this hour, that faith in Jesus, that becoming a Christian is some kind of an avenue to a life of blessing, abundance, breakthrough, victory, success, advancement, achievement. But that's not the way it's been historically. Life is hard. And as the great John Wayne said, life is hard, it's harder when you're stupid. (laughs) But life is hard even if you're smart. Life throws a lot of things at us. And on the subject of suffering, there's such a a desire for escapism. Now, nobody wants to suffer, but there's this desire for escapism, and we've we've placed a, a layer of religiosity, of faith in Jesus as a way to escape suffering. But that's not the biblical message. That's not true to life. It's not real to life. See, part of Jesus coming to earth, part of his mission ordained by God the Father from before the beginning of time was for the Messiah, his son, our Savior, to suffer. That was part and parcel of God's plan. Suffering was included in it, and Jesus did suffer. Jesus' mission had a five-fold purpose. That first mission was to, first part of the mission was to seek and save that which is lost. That's us. That's humanity. That's every single person forever. Every single person is lost in sin and in darkness and in hopelessness outside of a life connected to God and his love and his power and his forgiveness. So Jesus' first part of his mission was to seek and save the lost. Jesus came to earth on a rescue mission. And those of us in faith are the ones rescued and redeemed. Jesus came to serve. As he himself said, he came not to be served, but to serve. And that's what he demonstrated in his life as he served the crowds and the masses. He served those who were hurting, those who were outcast, those who were broken, those who were infected, those who were sick. He served. And the scriptures say that oftentimes Jesus, when he was healing, would work late into the night after sundown, healing and helping those in need. And yes, Jesus Jesus, part of his mission was to suffer. Matthew 16, 21, from that time on, Jesus began to explain to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things at the hands of the elders, the chief priests, and the teachers of the law, and that he must be killed and on the third day raised to life. The suffering of Jesus was part and parcel of his reason for coming. It was a part of his mission. His mission was to sacrifice as well. That was the culmination of that suffering. The sacrifice of his perfect, sin-free life as the only possible payment 
for sin. The soul who sins shall die. That's why we die. We are souls who sin. Jesus is a soul who did not sin. Therefore, he was able to be the perfect substitute sacrifice in our place. He took our sinfulness in place of his sinlessness on the cross. And as his blood was shed, our debt of sin was paid for. Now, the payment was permanent. We are saved, we are covered, we are forgiven once and for all, for all time, for all eternity, no matter how stupid we may be and sinful. But his sacrifice was temporary. You see, Jesus suffered and died, but then he he rose to life. He conquered our greatest enemy, death. Sacrifice was temporary through the resurrection. And then after Jesus was alive again, and that's the crux of Christianity. People want to make Christianity about so many other things. They want to make it about the existence of God or the, the, the ridiculousness or the ludicrousy of faith. But the reality is this, or they want to bring in ethics and biblical teachings and morality and things like that. Here's the crux of Christianity. Jesus rose from the dead. Take it or leave it. That's it. If he is still dead, if he's still in the grave, then who cares what he said or what the Bible says or what Christians say today? We're simply, we're simply deluded, you know, morons or whatever. But if Jesus did rise from the dead, as history shows, as the evidence shows, as the work of God in this world shows, then Everything he said is important. Everything he did is of the utmost importance. That's the truthfulness of Christianity, the resurrection. And as Jesus was alive, before he ascended back into heaven, he sent his followers into the world on mission, just as he was sent on mission You see, our mission as disciples of Jesus is to help seek and save the lost, just like Jesus. Our mission is to serve just as Jesus served. He said, love one another as I have loved you. That's my commandment. We too are to suffer. Yes, as Jesus suffered, not through the torture of crucifixion per se, but a life of suffering and of giving we too will ultimately sacrifice. We are to sacrifice our self-centeredness. We are to sacrifice where we are to, to die to self, the scriptures say. And God may call some to sacrifice their lives in his service. Around the world every year, the number of Christians executed for their faith increases. It does not decrease. Two millennia later, more people are dying because of their faith in Jesus. When Jesus sent his disciples into the world, he sent the disciples to make more disciples. We're the legacy of that. We are the legacy of a disciple or hundreds of disciples hundreds of years ago who shared their faith who passed on the legacy of belief in Jesus, who made a disciple, who made a disciple, 
who made a disciple, who made a disciple, who made a disciple, who made a disciple, who made us a disciple. It's an incredible process, brilliant in the plan in mind, in the plan in mind of God. Disciples were to embody the work in the ministry of Jesus. They were to expand his message. Jesus said, as the Father has sent me, so I am sending you. That's the fivefold mission of Jesus. It's our mission as disciples as well. But our topic for today is the subject of, of suffering because it's such a misunderstood biblical truth. It's such a misunderstood aspect of discipleship of Jesus. And there are far too many voices from within, yes, even the church, who will continue to say, if you only truly had faith in Jesus, then you wouldn't suffer. You see, suffering is a sign of God's punishment, God's judgment, God's absence, or your lack of faith. But the reality is, is that suffering as a part of natural life is just as naturally a part of the life of a disciple of Jesus. Each of the marks of Jesus' mission are important for our salvation, but also our sanctification, our spiritual growth. Suffering is so misunderstood in the Christian life. It's usually unwelcome, it's unwanted, but it's often how the Lord does his best work in our lives. And it's not about masochism, it's not about embracing a life seeking suffering, but it is about dealing with suffering biblically and Christianly when it does come. Suffering is such an important part of the story of the Scriptures. It is a topic that is addressed so often throughout God's Word. And the reassurance that we have in the Scriptures is always this. God is with us in our suffering. God is present. God is powerful. Yes, in the midst of our suffering. The psalmist declares that the Lord hears the cries of those who hurt, and he is near to them. When the righteous cry for help, the Lord hears and delivers them out of all their troubles. The Lord is near to the brokenhearted and saves the crushed in spirit. We often mistakenly have a default mode where we, where we think that if we are suffering, if things are not going right, if we are being oppressed and persecuted and things are just, everything's falling apart. Our questions are, why God and where are you, God? And the very gentle voice that comes through us from Scripture is simply this, I am right here. I am right here with you. The Lord is near. The scriptures even record this beautiful, amazing word picture. Psalm 56, 8. You have kept count of my tossings. You put my tears in your bottle. That is incredible imagery. How many sleepless nights have you had? Do you remember? God does. God knows. God knows the day. God knows the hour. God knows the reason. 
God knows what was going on through your subconscious. He knows what was going on through your conscience or your consciousness. He knows all those things. You have kept count of my tossings. God is aware and he is with. Because you have kept my tears in your bottle. That means the tears we cry in pain and suffering and hurt and heartache and heartbreak, God knows he paid attention. And that's why there's the beautiful imagery at the end of time in the book of Revelation that says God will wipe away every tear from our eyes. That's because God knows, God cares. God is with the hurting. The Lord heals One of God's self-revealed names in the Scriptures is the name Yahweh Rapha, the Lord who heals. God says, I am the Lord, your healer. And by the way, the context of that Exodus passage, the healing is offered to those who listen to God and obey God and respond to God and are open to God. It's it's, It's a package deal. Listen and follow God, and there will be healing. The Lord helps us, especially through his mercy and grace. Another beautiful passage from the book of Hebrews. For we do not have a high priest, meaning Jesus, who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who was tempted in every way, just as we are, yet he did not sin. There's his perfect sinlessness Let us then approach God's throne of grace through our high priest, Jesus. And we can do so with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. See, God is the God of grace. His his throne of grace is ready to be poured out on us when we approach through Jesus. And there's mercy and there's grace abundantly available from the Lord our God. And of course, the Lord gives us hope. The hope of not just the pain being taken away, not just the suffering ending, but the hope of everything one day being as it should have been and as it was in the beginning. The hope of every injustice being righted, of every wrong being addressed and corrected, of every hurts being healed. The Lord gives that hope. But for Christians, we look to Jesus as the one who will lead us through our pain and our suffering. As disciples of Jesus, we must always first look to him for all things. A disciple is a learner, a student. We are learning life. We are learning how to live. We are learning how to love God and love our neighbor and love one another and love our enemies by looking to Jesus. That's what a disciple does. And when it comes to suffering, we need to look to Jesus on how to interpret what suffering is is and why we're going through it. And we look to Jesus on how to endure that as well. The apostle Peter, who was the the lead of the, the apostles, that one that was the closest to Jesus, his life had immense suffering. 
beatings, imprisonment, ending with crucifixion, upside down as his choice because he, in his mind, was unworthy to die in the same manner as Jesus. There's an old joke, perhaps you've heard, the, it's an old saying, God loves you and has a wonderful plan for your life. And there's a little social media meme for theology geeks and, and stuff like that. There's that opening meme, God loves you and has a wonderful plan for your life. And then the very next frame is, cru- is Peter being crucified upside down simply with the words, right, Peter? God loves you and has a wonderful plan for your life. Right, Peter? But that's what Peter suffered. That's, what he, he, that's how he chose to endure. This is what Peter writes, obviously, before his upside-down crucifixion. For to this you have been called... Because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you might follow in his steps. He committed no sin. Neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. For to this you have been called. If it is God's will that you are called to suffer, a call is a, is a, is a directive. It is an invitation. It is a plan upon your life to which we are to respond with obedience. Some of us may be called to suffer, to suffer in ways that are solely for God's purposes. Things like, evangelism, the the witness to others. Perhaps it's for discipleship for us because we only seem to really truly learn and grow and change through difficulties. When everything is smooth and easy and simple, there's not a lot of motivation for change. We want to keep it going, right? We want to just keep it going. But when things aren't working, when things are difficult, When we have a problem, we need a solution, and the solution is not to continue to do the same things. We need to change. We need to grow. Suffering can do that for us. And then there are some who are inflicted with a a type of chronic suffering, chronic physical pain, such as like the Apostle Paul went through. He provides us with such a wonderful example of this interpretation of suffering and the endurance in the face of suffering. His words are this from 2 Corinthians, to keep me from becoming proud. There's his calling, follow Jesus, get humble. Follow Jesus, stop thinking so highly of yourself. To keep me from becoming proud, I was given a thorn in my flesh, a messenger from Satan to torment me and keep me from becoming proud. He had something he could not shake. There was no medicine, there was no treatment, there was no surgery, there was no avenue of release from this suffering. He understood God had a purpose for it. Three different times, and we can be certain, it was a whole heck of a lot more than three, but three is a kind of a, it's a symbolic number of, of perfection. Three times, 
I begged the Lord to take it away. Each time he said, my grace is all you need. My power works best in weakness. So now, I am glad to boast about my weaknesses so that the power of Christ can work through me. See, it's not about, it's not about the, the, the pride. It's about the suffering that brought about a heart of humility and a focus off of the self and on to Jesus. And as disciples, that's what we too are called to mimic. Use suffering as a time to draw closer to the Lord. Just some practical do's and don'ts as we seek to live out this discipleship to Jesus. When suffering comes, run to the Lord. Don't reject him. Don't run away. Adversity is not a sign of God's absence, but it's often the means of him getting our attention and actually him getting more of us. You see, adversity causes desperation. Desperation then leads to dependence. Dependence leads to obedience. Yes, Lord. Because it ends any illusion that we're in charge, that we're in control, it can truly break us. And that's a good thing. Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. And there's the old colloquial saying, if you're feeling far from God, who moved? It's a rhetorical question. Hint, it wasn't God. But draw near to God and he will draw near to you. So in times of suffering, yes, it's okay to have a momentary meltdown. It's okay to have a momentary weakness of the flesh and say, why God, where are you? What is going on? Why is this happening? Why me? It's okay to have a pity party for 37 seconds, but then get past it quick. Those immature in Christ get about 40 seconds. Those mature in Christ get about 27 seconds. It's okay to have that initial reaction, but don't stay there and don't let that thought grow. Instead of saying, why me, oh Lord, it's okay to say, what are you trying to do in my life? What are you trying to do through me, God? Is this for me? Is this for someone else? Because when it comes to suffering, it may not always be about us. As I mentioned, my friend Dave Renberg passed away from about a five-year battle with cancer just a few weeks ago. One of Dave's completely annoying traits and habits was that he was deeply grounded in Scripture. And sometimes when some of his friends would want to wallow in their own self-pity or lash out at God or be distracted off of that foundation of God's Word, Dave would be the one annoyingly bringing me back to Jesus. (laughs) I'm sure he had other friends he did the same thing for. One of Dave's last texts to me was from... Um, it was from the hospital when he was 
getting uh, just right before he was uh, scheduled to do a chemotherapy treatment, and it was tearing him up. And so he asked for prayer, and I said I'd be praying for him. And I said, if there was anything I could do to make it go away, I would. But he goes, I know that you can't do anything. And then he said, I said something about, well, how are you, how are you holding up? And he said, well, I'm certainly doing a lot better than most other people in here. Because I know, I know that my pain will end, and I know that it has a purpose. That's a pretty mature perspective. It's one I, I inspire to <laughs> hold one day myself. Second, do involve yourself with other people. Don't isolate socially. Don't cut other people off. The Scriptures say that we are a body. That does not mean that every single person in the church needs to know every single thing about your life and what you're going through. That's just logistically impossible. But it does mean that within the family, there's connections that will help us. We are to love one another. We are to comfort one another. We are to bear one another's burdens. We are to help one another, serve one another, give to one another, bless one another, all of these things. So that's why we've got to have relationships within the church beyond Sunday mornings, but actual life involvement. Paul writes in 1 Corinthians, if, if one part suffers, every part suffers with it. If one part is honored, every part rejoices with it. Now you are the body of Christ, and each one of you is a part of it. Have the connections. Don't isolate socially. One of the most interesting things is as a pastor, you get a little bit more of a, of a, of a, of a larger perspective or a bigger view of life in the church. And it's always amazing to me that we're a church of about, about 140, 150 on Sundays. We have about 250 people connected to Oak Park. And whenever someone begins to start having an issue in life, uh, things are falling apart. There's been a, a ruptured friendship. There's been being caught in sin or whatever it is. I'll meet with a person. I'll talk to a person. And they're like, I can't go back to that church and face those people. Everybody knows. And I sit there and tell the person, six people in the church even know who you are. The other 250 don't know and honestly don't care. But it's that, it's that, it's that burden we place on ourselves is that if, if I have problems and weaknesses and that there, there's shame with that and everybody's going to know, everybody's talking about it, the reality is you're not that important. <laughs> now, you're important to God. You're important to me. You're important to the elders. But, but for, the, for the congregation at large, Whatever you do, unless, of course, it's a recurring, you know, you're, you're, you're on KSBY every night and you're the lead story, that will probably cause some issues. But for the normal stuff in life, what you're dealing with, well, it's pretty common to all of us. And, and the sign of a healthy church is where there is repentance and confession Extending forgiveness, welcoming back, including, helping. So don't isolate in times of suffering. 
And the connect to that is risk some honesty. Don't insulate yourself emotionally. It's okay to answer the question, how are you doing, with something other than fine. It's okay to say, not too good. Been a tough day. Been a tough week. Been a tough month. It's okay to say, thanks for asking. Do you really want to know? (laughs) And then if they answer yes to the Christian commitment, is you listen while they unload both barrels, right? Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. Share with the Lord's people who are in need. Practice hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Mourn with those who mourn. This is a microcosm of what it means to have life together. There's so much of an interaction and a, and a, and a communal aspect to this. And, and by the way, with the rejoicing with those who rejoice and mourning with those who mourn, that means you are to rejoice with those who rejoice even if you particularly are mourning. And it means to mourn with those who mourn even if you may be rejoicing in that moment. That's a part of the empathy. That's the part of the life together. That's a part of being brothers and sisters in Christ, new creations in Christ where we are connected one to another. The next do is pursue forgiveness, reconciliation, and peace. Don't devolve into bitterness. Do not let your hurt turn into hate. Next to last, do seek to serve and comfort others. Don't obsess about the self. Because, boy, when we're suffering, it is so easy to get all wrapped up in the self. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in our troubles. Oh, how about if we just put a period right there? And let's just, let's just end it. Isn't that a great thought? That's so good. Oh, God is comforting me in my troubles. There's no period, there's a comma. And the comma is this, so that, dang it, so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves receive from God. We're not a depository, we're a conduit of God's comfort. The comfort we have received, we are then to pass on. The comfort we receive is very specific for our pain, our our issue, our struggle, our circumstance. But because we have received comfort from God, did you notice Paul's words, then into any circumstance or situation that someone else is going through, we can bring the comfort God has given us to them. It doesn't mean that we need to suffer the exact same way. It doesn't mean we need to walk a mile in their shoes, so to speak. And it does not mean that we're a know-it-all and that we can completely have, have total empathy and, and be able to relate to what they're going through. But it means that we are on mission to do what we can to share God's healing, God's help, God's hope in the midst of, other, in the midst of those who are hurting from other things in life. And lastly, I would encourage you to persevere. Don't lose heart. 
Therefore, we do not lose heart, Paul writes in 2 Corinthians. Though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day for our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen. Since what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. What is seen is the cancer. The unseen is the being set free and being recreated in a resurrection body that will never have any disease or decay. The seen is unemployment. The unseen is a life with God where he supplies all of our needs for eternity and there is no lack, there is no want. The scene is the broken relationship because of sin, because of jealousy, because of whatever. The unseen is the reconciliation that can lead to an eternal loving brotherhood or sisterhood in the kingdom of God. And there is so much more. So as we suffer or when we will suffer, let us, as always, fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and the perfecter of our faith, who for the shame set before him endured the, or for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame. We look to Jesus as the way through any pain and suffering we may experience.